So go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to James 2, 14 through 17. All right. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what is James saying here? Is he teaching a works-based salvation? Before we answer that, I want to look at a couple other verses that talk specifically about justification by faith. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10.10 says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one is justified. Galatians 3:11 Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteousness or for the righteous shall live by faith. And lastly Ephesians 2:8 and 9 For by grace you have been saved through faith it is not of your own doing it is the gift of God not of works so that no one may boast. So we see them through these verses and through many other verses throughout the scripture that Salvation is not given to the person who is the smartest. It's not given to the person who is the strongest, the tallest or the shortest, the one with the most money, the most popular one. It has nothing to do with a lot of those criteria that we base success or measure success in our day. It's, it's rooted solely in whether or not you have faith, believing faith in Jesus Christ. So no justification belongs to those who accept that Christ died on the cross for their sins and was raised from the grave to triumph over death once and for all. And by that, we have eternal life and by no other criteria. So again and again in this passage we read and many others, the Bible confirms that you're saved through faith and nothing else. And this is something that you know, historically many have believed. And one well-known theologian he has hold of that is Martin Luther. I know a lot of you in here, probably all of you in here have heard of Martin Luther, uh, that theologian, the monk who, uh, who essentially um, protested against the Catholic Church in, on October 31st, 1517, when he posted his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg in Germany, essentially uh, protesting a couple of, of key things, many things, but a couple of key things, and one of which was the selling of indulgences, which essentially was saying that you can buy your forgiveness, um, and the other was a workspace salvation. He detested those things and spent uh, many, many years in his life fighting them, trying to teach the truth. And 
a few years after he posted his 95 theses on the, on the church door of Wittenberg in Germany, he published the New Testament in, Germ, uh, in German, which allowed the, his commoners to really read the Bible for the first time. And then 12 years after that, he posted or he published the entire book of the Bible in German. And this was obviously an enormous accomplishment in his day. It allowed the word of God to be more freely read in his area than ever, ever, ever before. However, in his translation, he added an extra word to the following text. And that's Romans 3.28. Can you guess what that extra word he added is? Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's all it says. So Luther was so adamantly opposed to the teaching of a works-based righteousness that when translating Romans 3.28, he added the word alone to make it say that one is justified by faith alone instead of simply justified by faith as it said in the original text. Now doing this, Luther was, was just trying to well, he says he was trying to clarify something that was necessary to be clarified in his day. That it wasn't by works, which he had so, which we had believed for years before, and labored diligently and diligently to earn his salvation. It was by faith, and it meant so much to him that he included alone in the text, so that no one would be confused by faith alone. But the problem is that put Paul's teaching in direct conflict conflict with James' teaching, which is the passage we just read. Uh, earlier at the very beginning of the message. So, Luther did not like the book of James very much. There are several books of the Bible that he held in pretty low esteem. James was one of them. Um, he did not think that, they had, that the book had very much uh, merit from an evangelical perspective. And when he wrote his, when he published his translation of the Bible, he actually took some of those books that he held in lower esteem and put them at the end and then wrote a caveat before them to explain that uh, essentially they were not necessarily regarded as, as uh, having the same value as the other books. Um, but we know that James, just like every other book in the Bible, is equally divinely inspired. So since we know that it's equally divinely inspired as every other book in the Bible, do we have a contradiction? Do James and Paul contradict one another in their teachings? I heard a great illustration given by Joel Beakey to help us answer the question. Suppose with me for a moment that two men came into our church and wanted to become members. It's a good thing. And before they become members, you ask them, Sir, what is the basis for your salvation? You want to learn a little bit more about their walk with the Lord and their relationship with Christ. The first man says, he thinks for a moment and says, Well, I am justified by faith alone. I can do nothing good of myself. I have accepted the work of Christ on my behalf by pure faith. It is grace that, that, that merits my salvation. It's not work that merits my salvation. It's what Christ did for me. His work allows me entrance into heaven. And so I accept it on that basis alone, by faith in Jesus Christ. However, Though this man gives this glowing testimony of faith alone, the church elders from the previous church he was a part of sent you a letter. And that letter is discussing the character of this man. And it says that this man does not live what he says. That his life looks nothing like what he preaches. 
that though he says he is a follower of Christ, his works do not reflect that. He does not have a faithful testimony. He is not walking in submission to the Lord, his Savior, or seeking to conform his life to the Bible at all. So he, he, he claims Jesus Christ to be, he claims to be saved in Jesus Christ by faith. His life is very different than that, though. No works. Second man. You asked him the same question. So what is the basis for your salvation, sir? He says, I am justified by works. I am a good man. And I have done a lot of good things. My good outweighs my bad. I go to church every Sunday. I tithe every Sunday. I am a part of charity organizations in my local community. I mean, I look for opportunity to serve other people, and I do it. I'm a doer. And uh, that, that definitely merits you know, my entrance into heaven because my good works outweigh my bad deeds. So the first man said that he is saved on the basis of faith alone. And the second man said that he is saved... Oh, were you trying to tell me that? No. Good. Because <laughs> I didn't see it. Um, the second man said that he's ba- saved on the basis of works alone. So on the basis of these two testimonies, who would you say is saved? Is it the man who claims faith or who claims Jesus Christ by faith alone and his, work and his life doesn't look like it? Or is it the man who does look like it but makes no mention of faith at all? He, he, he thinks that he's going to get into heaven by, by his own deeds. Or is it either of them? Is it possible that neither one of these people are saved? Let's look at. Might have a backslider. Might have a backslider. Yes, sir. So let's look again at James two fourteen through seventeen. It says, "What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Is a brother or sister poorly clothed and lacking in daily food benefited if you?" were to tell them to be warmed and filled. Absolutely not. So when you have a hungry child who asks you for food, you don't just say, be filled. Oh, great. I'm still hungry. It doesn't do any good for that child. It is empty. It is, it, there's no substance to it. It is in word only. And so it's only with the word and the deed that there is effect. It, it is made useful by the combination of the two. So it is with our faith. It is, it is a useless faith that is in word, and word only and not in deed. The point James is making here is not that you are justified by works, but that works and saving faith go together. So faith saves alone, but faith that is alone does not save. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you must follow him and seek to obey him in word, because this is the evidence of that faith. This is your fruit. This is, it is by your fruits that you will be known. So if you profess Jesus Christ, but you're not seeking daily to conform to the scripture, to conform more to the image of Jesus Christ, then you need to reevaluate where your faith really lies. James is not talking here about any works. There are works of faithfulness, and there are works of faithlessness. And James is talking about the former. He's talking about your fruit. 
So fruit, is bear- so fruit bearing is the way others will know you and by which you will ultimately be judged. Uh, Jesus again says, by the fruits you will know them. If you say you have faith but you do not have works, then you do not have saving faith. That's a serious question to ask ourselves. To what are we conforming? For all of us in this room who say we have faith, do our works show that we have faith? No, it is not about being perfected, but is your faith being perfected? Or being perfect, but is your faith being perfected? This side of heaven, we're not going to walk spotlessly. We're going to have sin. We always do. But our goal is to perfect that thing that we strive for in ourselves. And that is to grow in our faith. And the decisions that we make every day can either reinforce or detract from that faith. It can either grow our relationship with the Lord or it can weaken our relationship with the Lord in sometimes very, very subtle ways. Our world is so saturated with an image that is projected on us of who the world thinks we should be. And that is why we have to be separate from it and not conform to it because the world's ways are not the Lord's ways. And I don't know, for my, for my life, I know as I look to the scriptures and I, and, I, and I see how much I am like the world, how much I really love things like media and uh, like music. I love to listen to music. Um, and I just wish there was a good movie out there sometimes. Um, the more I look to be discerning in those things, sometimes the harder that becomes because you become more and more self-aware that you know this is not your home. This is not a God-honoring place. And, and your flesh still desires those things that your spirit rejects. And so what you're doing is feeding one or the other. You're either going to grow stronger in your spirit, you're going to grow stronger in your flesh. Your works will bear testimony of whichever one you're feeding. Do your wives see your faith, husbands? Do your husbands, do husbands see your faith, wives? Can your parents see the evidence of your faith, sons and daughters? What do your works tell you about your life? Perhaps more importantly, when you look at yourself and your lifestyle, what do your works tell you about your own life? Judging by the things that you're doing right now, is it evident that you are a Christ follower? Or are we claiming him by name and not conforming our lives to that which we claim? If we want to know the answer to this question, how can we tell? We simply look to the word of God. He has revealed, his word is the revealed will, his revealed will for how we're supposed to live. So God's words here for our instruction and guidance. Look at uh, Timothy 2 or 3:16. So where the purpose of the law is, so the purpose of the law is not to justify us. I'll make that clear again. We are again still saved by faith alone, and the purpose of the law, though not to justify, it is to sanctify. Your obedience to the law of God will never save your soul, but it will sanctify your spirit by what? How are you sanctified by the law? It pricks you of sin. Paul is saying he he didn't know sin except until the law came. The law points out sin in your life, and the Holy Spirit works to prick you of it. So though you're not saved by it, 
You are sanctified by it. You're, you're cleansed by it. You're drawn closer to the Lord by it if you would obey it. And I'm, I'm pointing at myself here. I, I, it's, a very, it's been a convicting message to prepare. Um, and as, you're, as I'm preparing it, I'm, I'm constantly, not constantly rather, but as I'm preparing it, because it takes a long time, you think you're, you're distracted by other, sometimes other things, other thoughts, other interesting things. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to do the very thing I'm, I'm going to go preach about on Sunday. You know, hypocrite. I want to... I want to live what I'm teaching. And the more I study how I'm supposed to live, the harder it is to live it. And that's that sin coming alive in you. We have a flesh, a sinful flesh, that longs for the things that are harmful to our soul. And this side of heaven will always have that struggle. I wonder sometimes, why? why you know, if God's word is so good for us. Why don't we wake up and just breathe it and say, yes. I'm going to follow God's word today because our flesh says, ugh, isn't like it. And that flesh is so strong in us. Psalm 19 says, if you'd like to turn there, you can. I'm going to read. Um, actually, let me get the reference. Starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, moreover what? Moreover, by them your servant is warmed, and keeping them is great reward. So this thing that the Jews sought to be saved by, by, by their works, by their faithful obedience to the law, which they are not faithful to obey because it's impossible to faithfully obey perfectly, condemns you before God. The law shows you that you are a sinner in need of salvation. But I don't believe that the law stops there. I don't believe that that's the last word that the law has in your life. I don't think that's what the scripture is teaching. Yes, it's sufficient only to condemn you and not save you. And once you accept faith, and once you set the work, to, work of Jesus Christ by faith, if Christ has taken a hold of your life, the law continues to work to sanctify you. It is your map for how God is calling you to live. If you throw out the law, then you, don't, you, you will no longer see what, you know, what Scripture identifies as sin. And so you're not seeking, again, to be saved by that, but let that be a purifying work in your life. The law is still very useful today. It's very effective today, and it must be used if we're going to be faithful followers of Christ. There is a war going, in, going on inside every one of us, and it's a battle that rages inside you and me, and it is the fight of our lives. And it is waged against your very soul. And the enemy who wages it does not tire, he does not sleep, he, need, he does not need to drink, eat, or rest like you and I do. 
He's identified here in 1 Peter 5.8. And it says in 1 Peter 5.8 that we must be sober-minded, be watchful. Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's not just, I mean, it's very poetic, but it's the reality that we live in. We don't see it, we may not feel it, but it's there. The devil is always working, always looking to draw you away from the Lord. The devil hungers for your soul like you hunger for food when you haven't eaten in a week. And if it were possible, the devil would undoubtedly steal your salvation. So I want to assure you, though, that your salvation cannot be stolen. Because once saved, always saved. The scripture says that if the Father has you in his hand, no one can pluck you out of his hand. So you sit here saved today, you have the assurance that that will never change. Isn't that a great assurance? Still, the devil has a very effective way of while not being able to steal your salvation, of harming your faithfulness, of preventing sanctification. And so you might wonder, okay, if, if I can't lose my soul, which is the greatest thing I could ever lose, if I have that saved and there's still spiritual warfare, what's the point of it, right? If the very thing that was at jeopardy is, is now saved and secure in Jesus Christ, what's the point of the spiritual warfare? Satan, no matter how much he wanted, could never steal that from you. You could never lose it. But what is still in jeopardy here is your faithfulness to Christ. What is in jeopardy here is your sanctification in your walk with the Lord, the growing of your faith, the impact of your testimony, the purity of your witness. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guide our heart or guard our hearts with all diligence for everything flows from it. The world is constantly projecting an image of what you should be. Now will you conform to that image? Will you give your heart to that, to that thing, whatever it is in your life? In this fallen world, the temptation to wander down wrong paths is everywhere. Not to mention that it's not just coming from without, but the appetite for that sin, where does that come from? From within. So we have this appetite. We long for the thing that we ought to despise and is anathema because we have a sinful flesh that is in us. And so when we're looking at works that James is talking about, saying faith without works is dead, the works of our lives are either feeding an appetite for spiritual, godly things, or they're feeding an appetite for the flesh, ungodly things. If we will look at ourselves and we look at our week, what appetite did we feed today? What is our hunger growing for? Do we... Can we look from Monday to today and say, my thirst and hunger for the things of God is growing? I can think of clear examples this week where I chose to be more faithful to God than to, than, than, than to you know, follow my flesh. 
I ha- looking at my week, I have success, victory, and I have failures. I have a combination of the two. But are we, are we aware of that, and are we feeding that very thing that we're supposed to be, de- that we're supposed to be starving to death? You know, this appetite for the flesh and, and things that are ungodly. We want to suffocate it and strangle it. We don't want to give it any food. So we are all affected by our envi- environment and shapes to one degree or another by the world's way of doing things. It can affect the way we think. It can affect the things that we do. It can affect our priorities, the things that we value. So this means that the spiritual holiness in our hearts is in constant jeopardy of being tainted by our worldly consumption. So if you want spiritual holiness, spiritual holiness to grow in your life, you have to consume things, the appetite that you feed, the things that you're doing, they have to reinforce what the scripture says is good. Depending on the sorts of things that we're consuming, our desire for the things of God will either wax or wane either chipping away at our faithfulness to Christ or reinforcing it and making it stronger. So you become a product of what you are consuming, of what you're taking in. Going back to James real quick. Now James goes on after the passage that we were just looking at. Ending with verse 17, so also, by, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He goes on to say, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Well, even the demons believe and shudder. You almost hear the sarcasm in his voice. You think that just by faith, you're doing well. The demons also believe that God exists. The demons also believe that he is real. And what do they do? Shudder at his presence. There are a lot who would profess Jesus Christ that won't shudder at the presence of God. They don't shudder at their sin. It doesn't have the effect on them that it ought to have. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, That faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works then, or justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified then by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So again, just to reiterate, to make it abundantly clear, to make sure at least, not that you don't already know, but that I was clear in my message, that the first man who came in and wanted to become a member and accepted and said that he was justified by faith alone. That's true. He is justified by faith alone. But if we're based on, on his testimony, if we're to, to judge by his fruits and say, 
do we have reason to believe that this man is saved? We do have reason, I believe, to doubt this man's salvation because he has not sought to bring his life into conformity to what he says he believes. Now, again, that does not mean that faith alone does not save. I'll give you another illustration. If you're, if you're on your deathbed and you're dying and you accept the, work of, the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf and, and you believe that what he did, he did for you and that your sins are forgiven, you're saved, period. No question, nothing else needed, done. You're going to heaven. It's that simple. However, if you, that person who professed Jesus Christ didn't have works because they didn't have time. They didn't have time to live their life in conformity with the, with, you know, in the faith that they professed to have. And so you and I, we profess Jesus Christ, and so we have time. We ought to be conforming our lives to the thing that we say that we believe in. Now, what are we doing to help reinforce our faith in Jesus Christ? I just ask that you consider the lifestyle that you're living. That I consider the lifestyle that I'm living. If there's no neutrality, is it, is it prompting growth in your life? Or is it detracting from your walk with the Lord? I was... On Saturday morning, I, I kind of set the, the, pretty much the whole day aside to really, to really read and, and focus on my message. And I woke up to the sound of this really rockish song that my neighbor was playing upstairs. She was playing it in her bathroom because that's when I hear it the best. And it reverberates down and woke me up. And it just happened to be a song that I knew very well. Um, when I was a child, my father, who, is, who was unregenerate and is dead now, uh, when I was a boy, one of the things that my dad and I loved to do was listen to music. And it was always rock music. And while I don't listen to that or seek to listen to that now, it's not the appetite that I look to feed. Um, some of those things are just very familiar to me. And you may kind of understand what I mean. That may resonate with you. Um, there may be things that back in the day before you committed your life to Christ or things that you did and just and became f- familiar, old habits. And I thought to myself, wow, hold on. What, huh, what are the lyrics to that song? I know that song. I, I can't remember. So I got my trusty laptop, which had an internet connection, and found out what the lyrics to the song were. And I thought, is this a bad song? I'm not so sure. Let me listen to that. The lyrics don't mean anything. They really don't. It's actually kind of one of those songs that can be whatever you want. Um, but the point was, even in my resolve, and even just preparing this message and having it renewed in my mind, I want to be more focused than ever in my whole life on just the things of God and not conforming myself to this world. I had to smack myself practically and think, what are you doing? Who cares if the lyrics aren't particularly bad. Do you hear what you're listening to? And so while that wasn't a sin, it definitely didn't contribute to my walk with the Lord. I will say it detracted from it. I will say it's just, it, it, it instead distracted me um, from the frame of mind 
that I wanted. And I think throughout, throughout our weeks, throughout our days, we do things like that. We do things that, that, that distract us from the frame of mind that God calls us to have. And, and we may overlook them and think, ah, it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but God calls you to more than that. He calls you to not just say you have faith in him, but to conform your life to him. And uh, I want to encourage you all in that now. Uh, again, I'm pointing at myself. <laughs> Maybe by as a body of Christ, we can really encourage each other in that way. Um, but that's all I have to share this morning. So if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we humbly come before you so grateful for your faithfulness, though we are unfaithful. And I thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ. I thank you that by faith in what he has accomplished for us, we receive the free gift that you've given to us and receive salvation. And I pray, God, now that because you've given this, uh, us this amazing gift, that we would be zealous about good works. You say in the scriptures to outdo one another in honor, seeking to honor one another, seeking to glorify your name. And I pray, God, that you work in our hearts to love this and desire it and help us see in our lives where, we're, where our works don't honor you. I pray for our body. I pray for the safety of everyone still coming up this morning. And uh, I pray for Cody as well as he prepares and is, is going to be delivering the next message. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.